0: a mucky business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. Well, you might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and of course you would be right, but then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Today, we'll be joined by John Casson, who's chief executive of Larsh, a charity which builds communities of those with and without learning disabilities. John took the role, having said goodbye to his career in politics, in which he was a foreign policy advisor to David Cameron as prime minister before serving as British ambassador to Egypt. We'll get insight into his journey into politics and to find out why he chose to get out. But first, politics has gone crazy. Again, <laughs> Boris Johnson has dramatically resigned as an MP ahead of a damning report by the Commons Privileges Committee into whether he knowingly misled Parliament over the party gate affair. Former Culture Secretary Nadine Dorries and another ally, Nigel Adams, also resigned kicking off as things stand three by-elections at a time when the government are doing really dreadfully in the polls. Elsewhere... Former US President Donald Trump has been indicted with 37 criminal counts for allegedly mishandling classified documents. Oh yes, and former SNP leader Nicholas Sturgeon was arrested in connection with an investigation into mishandling of the party's finances. All in all, these events certainly vindicate the title of this podcast, and my book of the same name, Politics, continues to be a thoroughly mucky business, doesn't it? Well, we could spend time delving into the details of these events and emphasising the importance of integrity, justice and forgiveness, but I've already said similar things in response to the Boris scandals, part one, two and three, and I'm not convinced you need to hear them again. So instead, I want to think why, despite all the muck, Christians should still be getting stuck into politics. And many are. Last week, we spoke to Labour parliamentary candidate David Lawrence, and over the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing Christian candidates from the Conservative and Liberal Democrat parties who feel called to become MPs and who perhaps amazingly still want to do the job. So let's remind ourselves why we still need to engage. Firstly, God is bigger than politics. The Bible is not a manifesto where we sign on the dotted line and pay our membership fee. Political ideologies can help us make sense of the world and give us an approach for organising society and political parties are vehicles for putting those ideas into practice. But politics cannot ultimately save us. By contrast, becoming a Christian is completely ego shattering because it tells us that we do not belong to ourselves, but that we are all joined to God's greater story of redemption and salvation for the whole world. And God's plan is not a vague, distant, and abstract one. He promises one day to redeem all things, not by whisking us away to live on a cloud, but by bringing together a new heaven and a new earth. He did not withdraw from the mess that we have made of his world. In Isaiah 59, verses 15 and 16, we read The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice, he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So he intervened himself, didn't he? In bodily form, through Jesus, he chose to enter into the world and to act from within it, to put all things right. And in the gospels, we see that yes, Jesus came to save souls and that he also healed and fed people and cared for their physical needs. The New Testament regularly speaks of Jesus' compassion for people's physical and emotional well-being as well as for their spiritual situation. As Jesus came to serve, we are also called to serve others and with the same attitude of faithfulness, compassion and self-sacrifice. Through politics, we serve God by serving others in our communities and beyond and by our conduct in the public square. Society needs leadership. Governments have to exist and politicians follow some kind of ideology to come to decisions. All of this is imperfect, but if we don't show up and have a say in the decision-making, we are effectively abdicating responsibility for who governs us and how they do it. There is no such thing as neutrality in politics. Everyone brings their values and views to their politics. If Christians step away from this conversation, we will find that the decisions are entirely made by others on our behalf. But as I frequently say, to remind myself as much as others, we shouldn't be engaging in a belligerent or aggressive manner. We aren't called to despise or fear others. Instead we are called to stand in God's amazing grace and reflect that in all our attitudes and actions. The gospel is incredible news. We are secure for eternity if we trust in Jesus and we have a joyful and revolutionary hope that what we do now really does echo in eternity. It is because of this hope that we can afford to love and give and care generously for those who are around us. Therefore As we seek to live in relationship with the God of the universe, politics gives us a chance to put his love for us into practice by loving and serving others. It calls for us to show grace towards others as God has been gracious to us and to love because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. By this, we aim to show a better way and hope to clear away some of the muck in the process. A mucky business with Tim Farron. Well, so, to our guest, John Casson, the Chief Executive of the Charity, Larsh. John, welcome. Thanks, Tim. Well, let's start off. Tell us a little bit how you came to faith. I understand you come from a long line of vicars.
1: that's right. I'm a vicarage kid, uh, and I grew up I grew up always thinking that following Jesus was the most radical thing I could do with my life. um and we were we were the sort of church family where we were sort of social justice evangelicals, if you like. I, I was one of those teenagers who had the poster on the wall of my bedroom that said, I'm puzzled which Bible people are reading when they say that religion and politics don't mix. Mm. Um, and I, I guess I always thought we can't create heaven on earth, but we can create outposts of the kingdom and signs of, of what God's future will be like by um, by seeking seeking justice and seeking to, to change things and so so when I grew up I then I then looked for things where at that kind of place where religion and politics might meet and I ended up joining the civil service and, and being a British diplomat for 20 years. I w- worked for Labour governments, coalition governments, uh, Conservative governments and partly because I thought it was important that Christians were in the room where it happens where big decisions are being taken and um, it turned out I was quite good at getting into the room where it happened so I ended up in, in 10 Downing Street uh, and I ended up as a British ambassador in Cairo. And so in your time in Downing Street, so you were in the civil service in the foreign office
0: and during much of David Cameron's time as prime minister, you're a foreign foreign policy advisor. Uh, so you'd find yourself in the room um, with some of the most famous leaders in the world. Tell us a little bit about that and what that told you about the character of some of those people.
1: Yeah, so whenever the prime minister for those three and a bit years I was there met, foreign leader or talk to them on the phone i was there helping him figure out what to say beforehand in the meeting passing him notes making notes of what was said with everybody from barack obama to um bono to uh, vladimir putin and it it was supposed it was it was a lesson in how holding power is a real test of your wisdom and your character Mm. Um, you know and of course you meet you meet some people and putin was a great example who are really using power against other people you know for him the less power someone else had, the more he had, and it was a, a form of power that's that's quite toxic. It's very good at destroying things; it's not good yeah. at building things up. I remember when one day in Downing Street he was visiting, and he just got fed up with David Cameron trying to be diplomatic, and his voice went very quiet, and he said, "Look, if you want to influence what happens in Syria, you have to be prepared to get medieval. You know, it'll be like Iraq, but worse. It'll be torture, and you haven't you haven't got." The will to do that and i have and you could see him sizing us up and thinking Kid, will we stand up to him um, mm-hmm. but you know even even the people who've got more goodwill and want to use power for something beyond just themselves uh, it's not easy you know I remember, I remember the day when barack obama rang up and said to cameron in 2011 we want you to send the raf into combat in the skies over libya um, and and after the phone call David Cameron got four, four of us into the office and sat us down and said, OK, one by one, he pointed at us each and said, what would you do? What would you do? Shall we Shall we send forces into action? People are going to die either way. And that, that memory is really seared on my on my heart. And I suppose it over time it made me think, you know, I, I don't have a monopoly just because I've got faith on the best foreign policy ideas. And what's really important is, is as much who we are is what we do and it really in the end it really sort of threw me much more deeply than ever before onto my inner life and my, my daily living contact with, mm. with god and prayer to try and be in the room in the kind of way that, that that might allow me to sort of touch god's life somehow
0: so being in those situations just as what, what does it mean to be a christian in situations like that where you're having to deal with people who display and use power in a toxic way as you said Vladimir Putin uh, did and does or indeed where you've got to make life and death death decisions what does what does being a Christian look like in practice in those circumstances?
1: For me it was about seeking freedom because power is toxic for everyone not just for Putin you know you can become very committed to the project of, okay, I'm in the room, so I've got to protect my right to be in the room and you kind of need to beat the people who are trying to get you out of the room so you become competitive. You think I've got to prove that I've got the best ideas and you become too attached to be, to your own cleverness and your own mm. power and protecting it. Um, and so I, a lot of what I was seeking in prayer was freedom to say to every day, I want to just tune, tune the strings of my heart and mind to, to resonate to God's tune still and be free from those things of being... The smart guy to actually notice what was going on, what was really ma- what really mattered here, to still have compassion, to still have joy when everyone else was stressed, uh, to make choices on the basis of a, of a kind of clear heart. Now, obviously,
0: in that time in in uh, number ten and throughout your time in the civil service, you'll see British politicians come and go, as well as, of course, the international ones that you you see. Would you say that there is a presence of what we would call Christian values in terms of integrity uh, and servant-hearted leadership present in in British leaders?
1: yeah, i don't I don't think that um Christians have a monopoly on on that, you know, either on the good ideas or or even on the the, the good hearts. Um, but I think we we are part of a, a really precious legacy, and that's one of the reasons why although I'm not anymore in government, I think it's really important that others are because um, the institutions that have grown up that are rooted in, in Christian values need, need to be stewarded and protected. Um, and you, you, know, you can see around us the legacy of, of, it's not just the 19th century and the slave trade and all that, You know the, the 0.7% commitment that we would give less, less than a tithe, less than a tithe of a tithe of our national wealth to the poorest in the world. Mm that david cameron wrote into law um and that that tony blair brought in in the first place and gordon brown brought in in the first place that's another example in our, our age i think of a kind of christian perspective and it was i remember as as a teenager campaigning for that it was, the, it was the churches who raised their voices and says that we we don't just need to live for ourselves as a country um uh so this and you know that's that still needs to be contended for and uh, so i think it's really important that people there are people who who have eyes to see beyond the immediate quest for power to to what what are we doing with it and what kind of people do we want to be. Well, before we move on to what
0: you're doing now, let's just focus for a moment on what you did after number 10 in terms of going into a role of being the ambassador in Egypt. Tell us what that was like and how you managed to negotiate that period of your life.
1: Um, it was it was great and it was tough and it was bruising. Um, it was it was the post Arab Spring kind of crackdown days. So it was, mm. you know the Egyptian government playing hardball and Egyptians did not assume I was a good guy. You know they were brought up at their father's knees to think the British ambassadors, the colonial power, taking power away from us. Mm. So I try. I guess I tried to stay to true to this idea that um, to, to sense where God's life is and it's not necessarily about being the most important person in the room where it happens. Actually. I wanted to to give power away and share power with those who sometimes at the edges of you know young people in egypt were being excluded women were being excluded disabled people were being excluded and, and to go to them and, and offer partnership and, and want to learn from those change makers on the ground because often it's at the edges of power and where the cracks are that the light was coming in so i i set myself up as a british ambassador who was a bit different who was going to where people are and speaking their language and um both both actual arabic but also just seeing things from people's perspective. And um that made me more and more attentive to where I was getting life from. And I suppose that ended up with just before I was due to come back, I got a phone call from London saying, will you please come back and run Boris Johnson's office as as his private secretary of the Foreign Office? And I just had in that moment in that phone call, I I had enough of a sense of the, the freedom from the spirit and an invitation from the spirit to say, no, actually that's not the room that I want to be in anymore. Uh, I need you know where you choose to put yourself shapes you and I want to shape myself with a different type of commitment being with people in a different kind of way which so I left government at that point and I found my way to Larsh, which is the the charity that I'm now part of.
0: A mucky business with
1: Tim Farron.
0: We're speaking with John Casson the chief executive of the charity Larsh. so that fits beautifully uh, John and uh, where we're going to go next offered the prospect of going back to the uk to whitehall to work with boris johnson you decide uh, whilst in egypt that you're going to do something else entirely tell us about lash and what the organization does
1: lash is uh, a movement in about 37 countries um where, where people with learning disabilities uh, build community build life together with people without learning disabilities on the basis of community and shared life shared friendship shared spiritual life um so in the uk where we have clusters in about 11 towns and cities where where people sort of scattered around the neighborhood um sometimes share homes we we provide government-funded social care but also we we look to to go a bit beyond what you normally get in social care because we're all about being with people not just doing things for them so where often people adults with learning disabilities are left the most lonely people in our society we're all about friendship and being in a web of relationships and where social care often is just focused on giving people their basic needs we're all about the whole person their spiritual life being shared with us their their creative life their voice in society And, and where often social care is about caring for people and doing people a favor and some sort of pity we're all about equality and mutuality, and we, you know what we learn by being together, by the kind of presence in the world that people with these learning disabilities demand of us. We learn that actually, it benefits those of us without disabilities just as much mm. as those with, in terms of kind of the fullness of life that that's created.
0: When we spoke earlier, you said that uh, many of us would agree with this that. Social care faces a, a financial crisis, but it's also a values crisis that and what you're doing at L'Arche is a kind of gentle rebuke to the way we do social care. Tell us a little bit, a bit more, a bit more about that.
1: Yeah, we feel called cool to be in this big government system of social care, but not of it, if you like. Mm. And we, we are blessed to have a government system that takes care of the most vulnerable and we, lots of countries don't have it. But of course, it becomes a big bureaucracy and it gets very focused on managing risk and managing limited budgets, and it can lose sight of the, the people at the heart of it. You know, Even though we talk a lot about person-centered care, actually social care can often treat people as patients who need fixing or need caring for, focusing on their needs, not their gifts. And, or it can treat people as u- users of a service, receiving packages of care. You know, The idea that care is a package rather than a verb is something you do so we call people users or residents uh, and um that's 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 uh not what we're trying to do we're trying to see people not as patients or users or transactional contract holders but as As a whole person with a spiritual life and with a special vocation and people with disabilities have a prophetic gift for us in our society and Mm. they're one of the most discriminated groups you know they're they're much more likely to be lonely they're much more likely to be afraid of going out because they get picked on in the street they're much more likely to have nobody around to help them do something on a saturday yeah but we believe they hold the image of god and they Open doors to the rest of us into fullness of life, because because they're poor in the things that our society is a bit too addicted to. Yeah, they actually help us see clearly where we're over addicted, and and they enable us to 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 find a bit more freedom in a slightly different way of doing things.
0: Yes, and, and having been at Larsh for a while now, to your previous self, but also to those who you know who are still involved in. The world of politics and the civil service what advice would you give what message would you give those working in that world about how they can act to make the lives of those with learning disabilities better from a public policy point of view
1: i think whichever world you're in but you know in terms of your own vocation um paying attention to what sh- what shapes you and what are the kind of commitments in terms of your daily practices and the people you spend your time with um that will shape you into the person that you feel called to be and um so the idea that was the idea the core idea that I've received from Larsh is is being with is much more powerful than doing for so it's not just about a big system that fixes people but it's about having relationships with people letting people letting people disability leaders letting their voice be at the heart of the system not just the the clever guys in Whitehall um and we are in a way with we're we're trying to lead a sort of joyful rebellion against mm. a sort of more miserable version of things, and say actually, um, you don't. Life with learning disability can be beautiful. It's not just about helping people cope. Um, it's about gifts that all of us need because you know, we're, in our society, we're just too addicted to being busy, to measuring ourselves by what we achieve and by what we have, and by being wealthy and by, by how popular we are. And usually, people with disability are, are poor in those things—in in popularity, and wealth, and achievement, and control. Mm. Because of that, they call us to sort of authenticity. So, I suppose the message would be: let's build a system where the power and voice of this, this kind of wonderful group of people, this gifted, prophetic, often group of people, is at the heart of things. We're not—we're not just sort of seeing it as a welfare handout and a big bureaucracy.
0: Mm. And just finally, people listening to the podcast uh, who are Christians some who may not be Christians, some who may be church leaders even,
1: um how can we help you? well we would love we would love your help. um we want to be a beacon of what what life with learning disability can be like what social care can be like when we really see the image of God in each person and the fullness of life that each person has and so we would love your prayers. There's a miracle that happens in large houses over and over again but it does feel like a miracle and praying for the kind of attentiveness the way that people are with each other they're present they're tender they're attentive despite all the pressures we're swimming upstream against in, in social care so prayer for that miracle to keep repeating itself in our communities we'd love people to support us with a direct debit of whatever they can manage and if they go to our website which is uh lash uk, you can find out how to do that because government funding will never pay for the spending time together the sharing spiritual life together the eating together the going on holiday together the the time and space that makes us different so we really welcome other people's faithful commitment to help us do that and I suppose I would say I would for me it's been wonderfully life-changing to build friendships with people with learning disabilities who I didn't really know before and I would encourage anybody to Look for opportunities if you're in one of the 11 places where last is come and get to know us and if not there's lots of other people around you who are uh people with only disabilities and they they offer us uh, an invitation to be in the world in a different way and um, i would encourage everyone to receive that gift
0: John, a massive blessing to speak with you. A fascinating range of experiences you have had. And uh, we're delighted to hear what you're doing now. And we're especially delighted that you've given your time up. Um, God bless you and, and good luck.
1: Thanks, Tim, and to everyone listening.
0: Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. Now, it might be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it. Or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. Well, I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer. So please drop me an email to farren at premier.org.uk. And there's a strong chance I'll be answering it on an episode over the next few weeks. Well, this week, Jim in Southeast London has been in touch and says, there always seems to be a new political scandal every week. Sometimes two. Has it always been this bad? Well, I think there's maybe three things I'd say about uh, that Jim. Uh, th- thing one, maybe the fact we have 24 7 news these days, that there is a constant cycle of news means that there's things that get talked about today, things that get uncovered in a more open society today that perhaps we didn't even find out about 30 or 50 years ago. Or if we did, we heard about them once a day, not on the hour every hour for 24 hours so maybe there's that difference. I think the second thing to say is we've just got to be mindful and wary of both interpretations of uh, C.S. Lewis's notion of the snobbery of chronology the idea that today is automatically better than yesterday but also that today is automatically worse than yesterday and it depends on your uh, point of view as to which of those traps you fall into the fact is um as somebody said it's same poop different day or maybe different poop different day but nevertheless there are different scandals different problems different challenges in every era the third point i'd say is this but I think there is something in what you say, Jim. I think there is a an argument that says that as the United Kingdom and other countries move away from Christian values, then that sense of integrity being important in public life will become and is becoming less and less. It's not that there weren't scandals in the past. But in the past, there were scandals. We thought they were terrible things. Whereas today, so many people come across what you and I might refer to as a scandal, shrug and move on to the next thing.
1: If you have a question for Tim, email farren at premier.org.uk.
0: So let's end our time together in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father. We want to thank you for John Casson and for all those people involved in Lash. We thank you for what that charity does in seeking to create community and to look at social care in a very different way, looking at it from the point of view of equality between those being cared for and those doing the caring establishing friendship and fellowship and we thank you for that organization we thank you for john's mission in leading it we pray you bless it and pray you give wisdom to all of us listening as to how we might be able to help either what lash does directly or move towards a a better vision more values christian values led uh, uh, approach to social care in our country And Lord, as we think about the various scandals affecting us in uh, our politics at the moment in the UK and in the United States and elsewhere, um, we pray for justice. um, We pray for wisdom. We pray for our own prime minister uh, throughout this difficult time that you would give him wisdom and help him to act with integrity. We also thank you for the Christians that you are raising up in all political parties uh, to come into the world of politics. And we pray that people would not be put off um, by the scandals and the difficulties and the controversies that we read and hear about each day. That instead you would raise men and women up uh, of faith, uh, faith in you, Lord Jesus, who would then in their political life live faithfully and uh, as powerful witnesses to the truth serving the people you have put them in front of and we ask all these things in jesus name amen well thank you so much for joining us for this week's show don't forget you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders former government ministers and mps from all the major parties just search for a mucky business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash a mucky business